0: you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hey, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show podcast. I'm Oliver Banks, your host and your guide to the world of retail transformation, and thanks for tuning in to episode 79. In these coronavirus times, we've seen much more press and appreciation from the public to the people that power retail, the people that are on the front line of retail, particularly in physical stores. Of course, you already realize that they are the front line. They are the touch point to your customers, and therefore serve as a really critical piece of the retail jigsaw puzzle. So today, I wanted to dive into the structure of your people in stores. Restructuring management in stores is often seen as a cost-saving opportunity, but actually it's a whole lot more than just that. And to help us explore this today, I wanted to welcome back Simon Hedo And I say welcome back because he was on a very early podcast episode, as you will hear in the interview in just a few moments. So Simon is the co-founder of Rethink Productivity, and he helps retailers and consumer facing businesses, hospitality businesses and so on, to understand productivity and to understand what it is that people in stores do. He's got experience on the front line. He used to be a store manager for Focus DIY, that brand not around anymore, but the experience nevertheless absolutely critical. He's also worked for Boots and he's also helped a number of other big retail clients as well. And it's a pleasure to welcome Simon back. I actually did the opening keynote for his live event back in September in 2019. So that was a lot of fun. I met some really great people there from some fantastic retailers. Now this interview, now this conversation is a little longer than the usual. So I'm gonna just jump straight on into my conversation with Simon Hado of Rethink Productivity. Here we go. So I'm very excited to welcome our special guest today, Simon Heddo. Simon, welcome back to the Retail Transformation Show. Thanks for having me back. You're more than welcome. Well, uh, it's a pleasure to have you back. You were one of the very first guests on episode 12. That was a long time ago, thinking about what was exciting about retail in 2019. And wow, what a lot has changed in just over a year, eh?
1: Yeah, mad times. But yeah, it does seem like a lifetime ago. A lot has changed since then.
0: It sure has, and continues to change, which is, of course, why we're here continuing to talk about retail transformation. So, Simon, the role of people in stores has probably been undervalued by, I suppose, society in the past. But I think in the current climate, with everything going on with coronavirus and COVID-19 and the surge, particularly on food shops, I think what we've seen is the light has been shone on some of the incredible hard work that goes on in physical stores and the incredibly hard-working people that are doing that and keeping the retail industry going, particularly, as I say, in the grocery sector. Now, we spend a lot of time thinking and talking and strategizing about the role of stores, but we probably don't spend all that much time thinking, talking and strategizing about the roles in stores. Why is it important, Simon, to think about the roles of the people in stores. I think you're right. I think
1: there's lots of, as a consumer, times you'll visit a store and you might know you're speaking to the store manager or assume it's the store manager because it's somebody in a suit or a tie. (laughs) But more and more, we're seeing organizations where those managers wear normal colleague uniform. I think it's vitally important because they are the face of your brand. They are the interaction point with the end customer. They deliver on that brand promise. So the service proposition, the help and advice, the, the on-selling or the continued drive for loyalty and even advocacy of, of customers for repeat shopping, you know, wh- what's ever a demanding market and a more competitive market. There are some brands that really do think about it, but there's lots of brands where they don't see that final and maybe only or the first interaction with a, with a customer as those teams in store certainly the leadership teams will get all the communications from out of office and what have you. But the colleagues that are there, you know, working day to day, working really hard now in those environments that are still open as we speak, they're the ones that drive that lasting impression. And that, that's so critical for a brand in, in this type of market.
0: I'd absolutely agree with you. I'm a big, passionate supporter of the fact that your people are ultimately delivering the experience to your customers. So they hold a key part and interesting just hearing what you were saying, splitting it out between, I suppose, the leadership that are getting communiques, etc., from the office and the people that are doing more of the work. How do you see that split?
1: It's getting closer and closer, I think is the reality. My terminology is colleagues. So I've been brought up in retail that we're all colleagues, whether I'm store manager or working on the till on a a Saturday or a Sunday. So that always interests me when we work with organizations. They call them staff versus colleagues. Colleagues is, I think, more all-encompassing and embracing, and we're all in this together. And you'll know from your time in retail, if you're working in a store, those four walls are yours, that's your empire. And if you work as a team, you can do some amazing things because that's where the that's where the book stops if if it's gone wrong somewhere up the bread chain there's nowhere else for it to go once it's in store so i'm always very interested in the subtleties of the language when we we work with wherever it might be retail hospitality manufacturing whether it's colleagues it's all of us And, and clearly there's a hierarchy within that but we talk collectively or it's the staff or staff i always think that there's much more of a separation there or maybe a and us and them divide. I think in most organizations that leadership team is potentially getting smaller or more streamlined or has been the gap between a colleague and the next level up whatever that might be called assistant manager team leader supervisor is ever narrowing in lots of ways uh, capability pay and all those other bits I'm sure we'll touch on. Mm. It's never been closer and I think the real interesting thing for us when we work in these environments is when you actually sit down with people and say so what are the things that only a manager or somebody in the leadership team can do and historically it would have been well they're the only ones that can lock the store up they're the only ones that can open the store they're the yeah. only ones that can really get into the safe they're the only one, And there'd have been a long list we've gone through such an evolution of empowering colleagues that actually you kind of get back to the performance and development things but there's lots of businesses we work with where Colleagues will open up the store, will close the store, they'll handle cash, they'll do the banking, they'll pass that through to kind of cash collection. So if you kind of flip it, there's less and less that actually needs a manager to physically do. Mm. There's lots of leadership and softer things, but the role in that leadership team is certainly evolving at a quick pace, and I'm sure we'll continue to over the next months. But physically, the question of what is it that only somebody in the leadership can do is The list is getting shorter and shorter.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I suppose you don't need to be a manager to turn the key in the lock, so to speak. Nope. But there are absolutely some elements of, particularly from the leadership side, you know, probably not managing, so to speak. That's perhaps a bit of that old school command and control style, but it's maybe more of the leading, coaching, mentoring people to really get the best out of them and continue to serve customers. Yeah, absolutely. How many companies do you see with a defined leadership model for, for store organizations?
1: Well, I think everybody we work with tells us they've got a organogram or shows us an organogram or gives us the, the structure, let's say in, in quotes. So this is our mm-hmm. structure. This is, this is how it works. And that might be some branches on that structure driven by complexity, size, turnover, whatever that might be. But, but most people have a vision of the structure. The real interesting thing is the implementation via the field teams of that structure to the stores, hotels, warehouses, whatever it might be. So centrally, there's a view of, well, this is how we allocate managers, team leaders, supervisors, assistants. And and the top level in the tree, the managers, normally the easiest because there's always a view or typically a view of its one per location. You might get some satellite, but that's fairly given. Everything below, once you get to an actual store, becomes a little bit grayer of well well we didn't have one of those because we've had two of these instead or we have three of those because it works better for us so the interpretation of that model is very interesting and the deployment of it
0: particularly when you start layering on the complexity of real people that are of course doing those jobs you know whether it's people on job share or part-time or whether they're on some form of development plan whatever it, it, adds a bit of confusion to it
1: yeah i think there's still some resistance for part-time leadership roles i think they've got a massive part to play i agree certainly you know front-end customer facing stuff but you look at most people's leadership model or organogram and it's always in number of people so you then start to challenge and say okay so if it's one fte and let's say an fte is 40 hours could that be four people Doing ten hours each and it gives you some flex. Well, it doesn't work because training and stuff. So there's still that mentality of it it's a full time person or as close as can be because it gives us the security and 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 the brave or more innovative companies would see the benefit in splitting that into two twenty hour roles because there's a good quality pool of people that can fulfil that. It gives them great coverage for holidays and, and sickness and a, a good career development path if they want to go more full times. Mm. the expression of that as you say in FTS is always interesting
0: and how have you seen different companies allocating responsibilities to the different roles to the different people to get some form of consistency
1: we'll touch on consistency i think in a second that's a, an interesting one um <laughs> so I, I think the recruitment part is well documented and, and well done for for most organizations so there's typically a job description mm-hmm. um tells you you know what this role should do, what skills you need to do it, any potential previous experience and normally a relationship to a pay grade or code. I don't see many organizations and we don't work with many that once you've got the job, you ever really refer back to that maybe once a year for your annual appraisal or a development chat.
0: Yep. And that's probably true in retail or any other industry. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll crash you back, yourself back to your time. I, my time in managing DIY stores was it was used as a recruitment tool and then a way for you to prove how well you'd done in a year for your annual performance review mm. that was what it was linked back to there's some smart organizations who've kind of developed whatever you want to call them role profiles day in the life of week in the life of which kind of gets away from the your job is to do x y and z because we know it it's kind of not that black and white it's very gray especially in customer facing environments Mm -hmm. to more in a typical week we'd expect you to count some stock put some stock out work on the till and we'd expect you to have the right skills to do that but also look at behaviors so the skill to do it is we've trained you in the most productive way hopefully to replenish stock or to work the till Um, and you know all our policies around that health and safety and cash handling the behaviors bit is the bit, I think, that links back to the first part of our conversation about the key people at the face of your brand. It's very easy to show somebody how to press the buttons on a till. Yep. In this day and age, you'd probably do it, you know, if you're IT savvy and you can use an iPhone, Android phone, you could probably learn a till process in half an hour because it's very binary. You've got to press the buttons in the right order to let the till drawer to open to take the payment, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The behaviors you display doing that are the bit which reinforces the brand promise or not. So do you smile? Do you say hello? Do you have a conversation? You ask about the day or I see you've got the kids. Did you see everything you want? Or, you know, weather outside, brilliant. Always a great starter for British people talking about the weather. Or <laughs> the traffic. Yeah, or lack of it at the moment. Maybe the first one's what you're doing here at the moment. <laughs> but Corona aside, the um, I think the behaviors are the bit that people are now honing in on which comes back to the wider bit of what are your leaderships doing by setting the tone and driving those behaviours because that's the bit that drives the experience. My lasting impression of anywhere will be the last probably conversation I had unless something horrific's happened in the middle. Mm. So if I've gone in and asked somewhere where something is and they've said, I've said, don't take me there, tell me what aisle it is. And they've said aisle five, I've gone, it's there, brilliant. If the cashier is then polite, courteous, and we have a, a bit of a, you know, how's the weather, how are you doing? You've been busy today, chat actually I'll be quite satisfied with that if she's brilliant I'll come out feeling great if if he or she's not been so brilliant then actually that's my lasting impression of actually they were having a bad day and I could tell so the brand promise stuff linked back to the behaviors is where people have taken the job description and then what you're doing or supposed to do in the week or a normal week to the next level of and this is how we expect you to do it or behave within that
0: yeah that's fascinating and I think That whole behavior piece, I'm very much in support of, that's ultimately what customers see, that behavior. They don't actually care which button you're pressing on the checkout as long as it all works, right? Yes. How are you seeing that behavior piece as you start to look more at the managerial leadership roles, you know, from supervisor, team leader, through to store manager or site manager, whatever? How are you seeing those behaviors develop? Because it feels to me sometimes that there's a lot less guidance or expectation across some of those different managerial levels. And that maybe that's where some of the inconsistency can come from as well. There's a
1: really interesting context to this. So national living wage has just gone up 1st of April. So shop floor colleagues that are over 25 have got a 6.2% pay rise. If if you're on national living wage, about 3 million people impacted by that, which is all good news. What that means is a a full-time colleague on national living wage would be on about 17,600 a year. Mm -hmm. That's an important context then to say, well, we've probably got organizations where our first level on the leadership ladder are paid probably 1,000 pounds, 1,500 pounds a year more, Mm. but get the benefit of being in that team and the associated bonuses and things that go with it, but normally lose the ability to earn overtime because they come salaried. When you look at it with, with that context, that junior, if you want to call it junior or first level on the leadership rung, normally team leader, supervisor ish, whatever the terminology becomes, sure. Is probably quite a difficult role now because you're not paid that much more than a colleague. If they do overtime potentially they could earn more than you if there's if there's some going. You're finding your way in all of a sudden leading people and you might not have many people to lead. So you then maybe become an expensive colleague because mm. you spend a lot of your time doing things that a colleague would do. Some of our benchmarking data in terms of when we do role studies, that supervisory team leader level spends more than half their time doing tasks. That's interesting because when you have more than one of them, you've almost got a whole colleague doing task again at a premium rate. So this is where the structure and hierarchy thing starts to unravel of, if I've got three team leaders, if you add their time together of doing colleague task, one of them is pretty much a colleague all the time. Yes. That's where you start to get into the tricky debate of, well, what should they be doing? How many do I need?
0: Would you be better off with two? people doing more managing work <laughs> managing yeah sort of supervisory yeah you know, proper supervisory work
1: and you get into a debate then about well how do you manage with holiday cover and days off in the week so that there's always a debate about do you need one every trading hour i don't know is the answer i've sort of seen both models which is why you might need more than two etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm. so i think that's a really tricky level
0: as you move up just before we move on i've certainly spoken to people that our colleagues and they're you know I've, I've asked them whether they're interested in moving up and sometimes that gap is so small that the you know the feedback is well i get a lot of extra hassle a lot of extra work you know the management team are then pinning all the extra sort of development opportunity jobs <laughs> and i think we all know what that means uh onto those onto those people yeah and it like you say it's a lot of extra hassle work without any of the extra benefits of overtime or actually just, just working your hours and then going home. So I think that is an interesting challenge that I think will probably become more and more relevant, certainly as certainly as time goes by.
1: Yeah, and it, it comes back to as a business, are you keeping the differential between the roles? So every time the national living wage goes up, almost it's a, a bottom-up, I suppose, approach to keeping the differential so if the colleagues are getting a six point two percent pay rise therefore do the next the first level in the leadership ladder your team leaders and uh, and/ or supervisors need a pay rise to keep the gap then your next level up your assistants do they need a pay rise to keep the gap then your next level up your store managers
0: and then your entire cost base has basically gone up yeah, so, by let's say six six percent whatever yeah which is
1: which is huge um and th- and that's never really been it 's not an open conversation about national living wage it 's focused at at the bottom of the the pay scale which, which is fine and, mm. and it 's done amazing things for people in terms of their their income but actually there's a ripple up there 's a ripple up effect that if you don 't address or haven 't been addressing because we 're in what year five of four, five of national living wage, that differential will have just closed and closed or you bear the cost
0: mm, interesting so as, as you move up. Beyond that first managerial role, what are some of the challenges that you see organizations facing? Well, and the individuals as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, th- there's no easy roles in, in leadership, is there? That next level up, which typically is an assistant or deputy. I think that most organizational structures are three tier now. They used to be potentially four and five, but I think typically you've got team leaders stroke supervisors, then assistant stroke deputy, then store manager or hotel manager, whatever it, it might be. Uh, And you might have multiple ones below the the, um, hotel store manager. That assistant deputy is a real challenge because you're kind of stuck between the rock and the hard place. So Mm. you're expected to step up when the manager's not there. So five weeks a year on holiday when they might be out at meetings or days off. When they are there, what is it that you do that's not what the store manager could do in their absence to stop you becoming a colleague? Yes. So there's a real danger that everybody works at a level below.
0: Until the time where someone is away and then you can step up and do the job you're actually meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. And if
1: <laughs> I, if we were, let's say we had a three-tier management structure, leadership structure. If you were the manager, I was the deputy and we had someone as the team leader. In effect, I'd probably be working at the level of the team leader um, supervisor where the team leader then becomes a colleague. Yes. So we all work at a level below because there's not enough leadership things for us to be doing. Um, So it's an interesting quandary.
0: It is. And would would that say that actually we've just got too many levels in the various management structures? I'm always
1: interested when we speak to organizations and we talk about satellite management and the top level of the leadership tier not necessarily being allocated to one store. Mm -hmm. And that people have done... Cluster management or satellite management, and come back from it because they get back to we need a we need a leader in those stores all the time. I think if you've got a good culture, you're recruiting people for the right behaviours and training them to do the right things. I think mean, it's Richard Branson who says you kind of recruit for behaviours and you can train them to do be you know the functional stuff, the talent stuff. Mm. If you get that bit right, actually, and let people work at the right level. The store manager's job should be the easiest job in the, or the hotel manager's in the, in the four walls, because they should be purely leading because everybody's empowered and the vision's been set and they know where they're going. So then you get to, well, why do they need to be there all the time then or for 40 hours a week? <laughs> yep. So I, I think it will come as costs get tighter, as people get challenged to do things, as rent and rates become more difficult. The most expensive person in your store, typically, if you could divide that across two, or they have a small store and a large store, or a big hotel and a small hotel, or whatever it might be, because clearly there's a tipping point where it's probably too much of a job. Yep. Actually, that'd be interesting because you can divide that cost across two stores, which you'll be a significant saving, or you reinvest some of that money in a colleague level to drive better service.
0: It's interesting. And as you start to think about, actually, you're going to be a cluster store manager, then that puts your entire area manager or area director, whatever, whatever sort of structure you have, puts that all in question as well. Sort of it ripples all the way up. Yeah. I think in some organizations
1: that jump from running a unit, hotel, store, whatever it might be to an area or regional manager, depending on the terminology, is a big step. And doesn't come up very often so it is a a difficult next career progression step if you've got some cluster small unit managers or satellite management it's a nice intermediate step to keep people interested Mm. but you're right then you know i go from looking after two stores to looking after 15 do we need those people looking after 15 so yeah and that happens so as people look outside their kind of four-wall structure or their uh, site structure, then you start to look at the span of control and well, how many stores is feasible for somebody to get around and how many people look after, need to look after those people until you kind of work back into the, the centre, if you like.
0: Absolutely. It's a really interesting conundrum, I suppose. There's lots of different pieces of the jigsaw that you need to be considering. How should someone best assess if they've got the right leadership model in place or whether they need to do it and how do you decide what is best if you do need to change? I think
1: people look for a golden bullet. They look for this answer that's the, that's the blueprint for a leadership structure. Mm. Some of it is in the brand and what they stand for. Some of it is in data. So that's some things that we do. So we've talked before about role studies and time our analysts spending some time in the environment shadowing those people to come back with data that says this is this is what these people are doing real life this is what they're getting involved in this is how much time they spend with customers colleagues how much time they spend doing tasks
0: how much ineffective time they've got so back it up with data that can be so powerful because what you think (laughs) what the reality is yeah certainly if you are a leader when you go to a shop it's never quite the reality right because you get the red carpet treatment if you're a director in the business and the shop Sees you coming or knows you're coming. Everyone's quick. Do, do everything you're meant to.
1: Yeah. So we need a, you need a view of reality. You've got what your business stands for, what your brand promises. I think there's a degree of what you can afford is as well. What are these people actually doing and where's the value that they're adding? So are they expensive shelf fillers or actually are they great leaders? And there will always be a mix because people revert type especially when they're the most senior person in the store so if if the manager's off and I'm running the store that day if my preference is to spend time in the office I will find things to do in the office if my preference yes. is to spend time on the floor I will find things to do on the floor you can quite easily pick up on those behaviors so it's a data's important because that's fact that based certainly if there's unions involved in that kind of stuff it gives you a really good credible set of insight to say well this is what we think. This is what we saw. This is what we kind of decided. And then in terms of designing the structure, it, it's almost working it backwards to say, well, what do we want to deliver? What things are different? So that I think the bit where people get really stuck is the bit of, so what's the point when I get two team leaders instead of one? What's the point when I get an assistant manager instead of a team leader? Mm. We call it the bands or the, the gradings, if you like. Is it based on my store size? Is it based on the fact I'm in central London or in a city? Is it based on cover? So my opening hours, all those things, sales hurdles, sure, pharmacy items, number of room occupancy, whatever. So with all that stuff, there's no right or wrong answer. You have to do some modeling. And say you know if the cutoff was here, what would happen, how many stores would fall into it? What are those stores and then there's kind of a sense check of does it make sense? I think the other thing with all of the structure design stuff that people do is you've got to be clear up front if it's a cost saving exercise because that has a massive impact on how you tell people and could yeah. have a massive impact on if people are at risk if it's a revenue stroke service driving exercise so we may end up with less people in the leadership structure but that money difference we will invest back into colleagues
0: mm, and we've certainly seen quite a lot of initiatives like that in recent times where actually we've lost so many management jobs but that's going to be applied back into thousands of colleague jobs
1: yeah and i think everybody starts from that second one but a lot of people end up in the first one by the time they've finished it <laughs> The challenge with that is when you rerun the budget numbers, however you calculate your budget, at a store level, you say, but I've lost one of these and only got half of one of those back. Mm. And if you think about the rate differential, you know, if you save 30 grand a year in in leadership, it's, you know, 1.6, 1.7 colleagues in today's world. Yep. So thinking strategically up front of what you're trying to achieve and then how you take the business on that journey is very important because if you say it's about driving service and more feet on the floor streamlining process you know taking out levels to put people where the customers are and then you roll it out and that doesn't happen it's very difficult to kind of create energy to move the business forward people just think like they've cut cost
0: yeah absolutely and it's it's a difficult decision because in a place where there are a number of retailers facing financial challenges and they are looking to squeeze the cost line. It's good sound business strategy to look after your costs, of course. It's a difficult challenge, but it absolutely comes back to the point you were making a couple of minutes ago about being open and being honest with the overall strategy.
1: Yeah, I think so. And and being clear on, on what those roles are doing. So We've seen situations where people have designed structures and we look at span of control. So on average, how many heads, so not FTEs, heads will that role look after in various sizes of shops? And you still get to places where you've got a team leader supervisor who's looking after three or four people or under double figures, which is then a high cost base. Because if you think about if you've got four heads, they might be part timers. So you might actually never see them, but depending on shifts, difficult to do appraisals and kind of coffee catch ups. So spanner control is always an interesting indicator. And if they're in single figures, there's probably some room for maneuver mm. without making too much of a business change. So I think that, I think that's interesting, but I get back to two things. One what truly is it that you want your leaders to do that nobody else can do? And I'd challenge locking up stores and cashing up and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And two, how much time really are you prepared for your leaders to be doing work that colleagues are doing? And, and what data have you got to show what those tasks are? And then you go on your kind of process improvement journey of how can you make those tasks quicker or slicker or get them done differently? Mm. And every everything else tends to fall into place, but There's different models and you can look at different businesses or across industries and verticals, but there's no right answer. It has to fit that business.
0: Mm. And obviously, depending on which category of retail you're looking at, there's lots of different elements which, you know, are are involved. Question is, as you were saying, is it something that a leader really needs to do or actually could it be delegated down to, to a colleague? And what's that? desired split between task and leadership that you want someone to be doing at any moment in time
1: if you think back to our first part of this conversation if you employ me and trust me to be the face of the brand that serves the customer that's probably the biggest thing you can empower me with so to then say actually you can't cash a till flow you've empowered me to delight or upset that person who's gonna come back or not come back and spend X pounds and he's gonna go away and tell ten people on Facebook and five people on Twitter how brilliant or awful it was. That that costs you much more than the risk of counting a till float wrong or there being some, you know, minor discrepancy. So it it's where where you see the value, I think.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's a really great point to wrap up our conversation. A lot of us talk about a retail business being Customer obsessed. But actually, are you being customer obsessed if you are trusting that responsibility, that customer facing responsibility in the hands of your colleagues, but you're not trusting them to do some other jobs? That feels like a bit of a conflict internally. So, really, what is it that you want your people to do? Simon, this has been a really fascinating conversation. And as always, I could dive into lots of different elements. But if people do want to reach out and talk more, how should they get in contact with you?
1: So we've got all the normal channels. So um, you can contact us via the website, which is www.rethinkproductivity.co.uk. We can be found on Twitter and Instagram and got quite a big presence on LinkedIn. So we've got a group on LinkedIn and my profile's on there. So any way that people feel comfortable with.
0: So if you do want to reach out, it's Simon Hedo on LinkedIn and rethinkproductivity.co.uk and there's lots more content all over there really helping you to dive into what is going on in your stores. Simon thank you so much this has been a lot of fun thank you again for rejoining me on the show it's been a real blast.
1: Enjoyed it good to catch up.
0: So that was an interesting conversation there with Simon Hedo of Rethink Productivity. Simon shared some of the ways you can get in touch with him. And I'm going to put the links to those on the show notes page, which for today, you can find at obandco.uk 79. That's obandco.uk 79. And remember, if you are a new listener to the show, then do subscribe. There are new episodes out every single week. And I'll look forward to joining you on the next episode coming at you very soon. Bye for now.